Okay, we are recording, so we are ready to go. Let's start with a word of prayer today as we plunge in. Hey, good morning, Charlene. Good to see you. Father, we offer ourselves to you today as we study your word. Give us insight. Help us know how to apply your word so that it's not just information that goes into our brains, but let it transform our hearts and the way we live. Fill us with love so when people see us, they see Jesus. Amen. Uh, see if I can put the screen up here so you can see the Bible passage we'll be looking at. Looking at Mark chapter 2. We're looking at the call of Levi today, otherwise known elsewhere as Matthew. Start in Mark chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Reads like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Okay, I have uh, 18 questions on this section, not just these two verses, but the section through verse 17, which deals with the calling of Levi and the follow-up to that. My first question is, why does Jesus like going out beside the lake? Because this isn't the first time we've seen Jesus do this. Jesus seems to frequently go out beside the lake. It might be he likes the scenery. It might be that that's where he finds people that he's wanting to talk to and minister to. How about us? Are there places that we habitually go, places that we like to go, places that we go to connect with people? Are, are those places where God can use us, where God can connect us with people that need to hear about Jesus, maybe need to see what God is up to in our lives so that they can then maybe experience Jesus in their lives? Uh, question two, what attracted the crowd this time. We know at other times that Jesus is teaching the synagogue, crowds there. Other times he heals somebody, there's a crowd there. Uh, what is it that's attracting them this time? Uh, did they come because Jesus had advertised that he would be teaching? Or did he only start teaching because the crowd showed up? Uh, how did his attracting of large crowds interfere with the local economy? I wonder about how it is. Here they are. They're maybe in their work day. Everybody's at work. They're doing their productive activities. And then Jesus comes along. Everybody stops working. They run to, to listen to Jesus. Does that affect the economy? Is that something that matters? How about us? When, when we're obeying Jesus, when we're joining God in what he's doing in our midst, we're joining God in his activity in the lives of the people around us, how does it affect the economy? And do we need to worry about that? In what ways do we sacrifice, in some way, the economy to join God in what he's doing? Is joining God more important than the economy? Uh, question three. What was Jesus teaching them this time? Now, this is one of those questions we have no answer to. It, Mark doesn't give us any of the content of what Jesus is teaching. Nothing about the subject matter, nothing about the particular words he said. We don't know, but... It, but it, Apparently, he's holding their attention for a while. Uh, uh, question four. In verse 14, it says, as he walked along. And my question to that is, was this following his teaching the crowds or after his teaching the crowds? In other words, is as they followed him, as he walked along, is that him teaching them? 
or is his walking along, is that come after he's taught them? I'm, I know some of us who are teachers or preachers like to walk around and move. And, and for me, doing this online teaching, it's kind of difficult because I just sit here uh, in front of my computer so the camera can get me and the audio can get me. You know, when I'm preaching in our online services, uh, I'm just standing there in the pulpit, it's really hard. When I'm doing our nine o'clock Sunday morning outdoor service, I'm just standing there so I can have the mic because everybody's far away and they couldn't hear me otherwise. It's hard to just stand there. How about Jesus? Was Jesus one of those walking preachers and teachers? And is that what he's doing here? Or is the walking along come afterward? Uh, question five, was Levi the only one working the tax collector's booth at that time? Or, or were there multiple stations there? where Levi and maybe two, three, four, five other people were, were there working, collecting taxes. Uh, then, then I wonder also, we see that Jesus calls Levi, son of Alphaeus here, to follow him. Is Levi the only one he calls? Or is Levi the only one who responds? Or also, is Levi the only one who responds that Mark tells us about? We don't know. How about your experience? What's your experience when, when you're out sharing the word, when, when you're out joining God and what he's doing? Do you sometimes find people are responsive and some people aren't responsive? You maybe find that some people are responsive at first, but then maybe not later. Uh, question seven, what inclined Jesus to call Levi? That's the first part of the question. Was it the fact that, that Levi was showing interest in what Jesus was saying? Was it that in the midst of his work, he can't keep his eyes off Jesus? Or, or was it that when Jesus was praying, the father says, hey, Jesus, go over there and talk to that guy sitting right there at the tax collector's booth? Was it in, in, in guidance directly at the moment? Or was it early in the morning when, when Jesus was praying? Maybe Jesus prayed something like, Father, send me to the people that you want me to connect with today. Open my eyes so I see them clearly and can call them to you. Uh, maybe that's a good thing for us to pray. Maybe every morning when we wake up, we can say, Lord, lead people across our paths, people in whose lives you're working, people that you want to use me as your instrument, as your word of communication to get into their lives, to get your good news into their lives. That, that people that need a word of encouragement, people that need a word of provocation, may, maybe even people that need a word of conviction because they're eagerly and joyfully running the wrong direction. And they need somebody who's going to run into them and maybe redirect them. Those are possibilities of what's going on here. So that's the question about what inclined Jesus to call Levi. But there's the other side of that question. What inclined Levi to get up and follow Jesus? What, was it that Levi had previous experience of Jesus? Had, had Levi been listening to Jesus? Had, had Levi maybe as a resident of Capernaum been in the synagogue that day when Jesus cast out the, the unclean spirit? The one who had heard, maybe he was one of those people that had heard Jesus teaching with authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. What inclined Levi? Maybe it was a sense in his life that he needed God. Maybe that he needed to change his ways. His name's Levi. That's, that's a good Jewish name. But this isn't like some Gentile here. Le Levi is somebody who's, who's grown up as a member of the people of Israel. He's heard at least some of the stories. He ha has at least a cultural, situational, environmental awareness 
of God? What kind of work is God doing in his life up to this point that leads him to get up and follow Jesus? Some of you today, God's doing a work in your life. God is calling you. God is directing you, saying you need to get up. You need to leave what you're doing, even if what you're doing is socially productive. It's socially productive to get taxes so that the government programs can go on. Yeah, people didn't think they were that way in those days. In those days, tax collectors were almost entirely bad guys supporting the oppressive Romans. So, Levi, maybe it's time to stop collaborating with the, with the powers of the world. Maybe it's time to align yourself, Levi, with the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of Caesar, even the kingdom of Herod. You know, maybe that's a message for some of us. Maybe God's directing us to direct our allegiance only to his kingdom, to redirect our allegiance from the other kingdoms and systems around us that call for our attention. Uh, question eight. What did the other disciples who were with Jesus make of his calling Levi? Now, I'm assuming here that other disciples were here, that some of the other people like Simon and Andrew and James and John, other people that, that Jesus had called to follow him were in this case actually following him. And those guys were fishermen. Fishermen, yeah, nothing wrong with being a fisherman. They catch fish. We eat fish. Fish is yummy. That's good. But, but a tax collector? What did the disciples think about Jesus calling a tax collector? Did they pull him aside and say, uh, Jesus, this isn't the kind of guy we want. Uh, Jesus, if, if, you, if you get a tax collector, a collaborator, somebody who is not politically aligned with us, to follow you, what's that going to say about our movement? People are going to think that, that we're going off the deep end. People are think we're going the wrong direction. People are thinking we're not politically correct. And, and y'all know today that being politically correct, we, we think it's just something for one party. And in both parties, every party out there is pretty concerned with being politically correct. At least that's what I see on social media. So what are the disciples thinking here? What about us? Are we willing to extend the call to actually engage our lives with people who aren't socially acceptable, who are outside the mainstream, who maybe the people that we normally hang out with would reject as there's something wrong with them? Uh, question nine. Did Levi's getting up and following Jesus entail leaving his job as a tax collector? Or did Levi just get up and say, okay, guys, talking to his fellow tax collectors, I'll be back in the morning, or I'll be back in an hour. I'll see you later. Or did following Jesus entail leaving all that behind, leaving out that entire lifestyle, that entire profession, that career path he had for something new, for something different? Let's, let's go to the, the next section here. Our next part of this story is Mark 2, 15 through 17. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, my first question here, uh, it's question 10 in this whole section is, was Jesus going to dinner at Levi's house 
his idea or Levi's? Well, we know from the story of Zacchaeus over in Luke that when Luke when Jesus calls Zacchaeus, the, Jesus says, hey, come on down from the tree, Zacchaeus, because I'm going to your house today. There's some of that going on here because Luke, uh, uh, Levi, like Zacchaeus, was a tax collector. Did Jesus invite himself over? Did he say, hey, Levi, now that you're following me, I'm going to go to your house for dinner tonight, so get everything ready. Or was it Levi's idea? Did Levi say, oh, Jesus, I'm so glad that you've called me. I'm so happy to be your follower now. And I, I want other people. I want my friends and coworkers, people who are considered social outcasts, people who aren't in line with the holy ones of Israel. I want them to hear your word too. I want them to hear and experience you the same way I have. So Jesus, will you please come to my house for dinner tonight? Well, what about us? Uh, are we fellowshipping with, are we opening our homes? Well, that's hard to do in a pandemic, isn't it? Opening our homes. Are, are we looking for ways to fellowship with people who are not yet connected with Jesus? We, we, we fellowship with each other in church. We, we even fellowship with other Christians from other churches. But are we looking for opportunities to informally relate with people who are not yet followers of Jesus? We even associate with them. It's an important thing we see here in Mark chapter 2, but, but also throughout the Gospels. Jesus is always going and eating with people. And he's frequently eating with those who are considered to be the wrong kind of people. So what about us? Uh, question 11. Why were many tax collectors and sinners eating with them at that time? What attracted them to the dinner? So again, we get back to that question there. Why? is this crowd there? Is it maybe that Levi always had a big crowd over? Maybe Levi had a big house. Maybe he had a great chef. Maybe he was used to hosting dinners. Or maybe it was Tuesday, and Tuesday was Levi's day to host uh, the office party. Or maybe, again, it was Levi that invited him. Maybe Levi had had a powerful personal encounter with Jesus, and he wanted other people to have that, to share that same blessing. That's something we could do. Uh, have you ever had the experience, how, how did you come to faith in Jesus? Was it that you were raised in church? For most of us, we're raised in church, and we start hearing about Jesus from infancy or from childhood. But maybe some of you could tell a story like what happened that day, that somebody you knew had an encounter with Jesus. They invited you in as a spectator, you to come in, to, to join in, and Maybe it was over food, over a meal, that you heard the good news of Jesus, that you were attracted to Jesus and what could happen in your life. Could that happen today? Could it, could it be that when, when we're out eating, other people hear our conversation? Maybe the work of God in our life is leaking out, is spilling out in a way that people can see it. Maybe there's grace there. Maybe there's peace. Maybe there's freedom from anxiety. Maybe freedom from fear. Maybe there's love that's pouring out. Maybe it's just the contrast between what they see in our lives and what they see in the lives of everybody else. Again, right now with the pandemic, it's, it's difficult to do that in our homes, but maybe the way we relate on social media uh, if, if you're joining us on Facebook today or later on in YouTube, 
how, how do people see you? What do they see? Do they see the grace? Do they see the mercy? Do they see the work of God? Or do they just see you going with the flow of what everybody else is doing? Is, is what you post on social media, is it perfectly explainable and understandable in terms of what's going on in the world? Or is there something of God there? Something gracious, something merciful, something loving, something kind. Something that's only, only explainable by the work of God. Question 12, how did Jesus' disciples feel about being at this dinner? My guess is that they were somewhat uncomfortable. Okay, Jesus, you called us from being fishermen. And yeah, fishermen's being, a, that's a respectable job in our community, in our culture, in our society. But we didn't know that you'd want us to be hanging out with these kind of people, with tax collectors and sinners, and yet here you have us. How much discomfort, how much coming out of our comfort zones are we willing to tolerate to follow Jesus? If Jesus goes and hangs out with the wrong kind of crowd, the wrong kind of people, are we willing to go with him? The disciples seem, at least some of them seem to be willing to do that. Question 13. How was it that the Pharisee teachers of the law came to see Jesus eating with those people at Levi's house? Uh, it could be that they had outdoor tables, they're sitting around outside, and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, happened to be walking by and saw Jesus and Levi and the other tax collectors and sinners there. He said, oh boy, this dinner party, we don't want anything to do with it. What is Jesus there? Jesus is a prophet. Jesus presents himself as a holy man. Jesus teaches, presents himself as a teacher of Israel. What's he doing there with those people? His holiness is going to be corrupted. He's going to become unclean through his association with them. Or was Levi's meal in his house? What were the Pharisees doing there? How did they find out? We, we don't know. My, I mean, my guess is it's more, more likely the former. More likely that there's this raucous party going on, this raucous dinner party, and making lots of noise, attracting the crowds to see what's going on, and they come and peek in. And they say, oh, yeah, Levi, we expect that kind of stuff from Levi. And, and his crowd, yeah, we expect that from his, their crowd. But Jesus? What's that Jesus fellow doing there? Well, again, what about us? Do the holy people ever question us for the people we associate with, for the friends that we're making? For the, uh, for the things we post on social media that don't go with the flow, that aren't politically correct, that are aligning with the wrong people. We've got plenty of Pharisees out there, plenty of people that are out there to in enforce and inflict holiness and righteousness on us. And yet these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, these who are supposed to be the holy people and the gospels, they're the ones that are missing Jesus. They're missing God. I want to never be in the place that I've just come across as a holy person, yet one who is missing God. Don't want to be there. Let's see. Question 14. Why were they concerned about Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? 
did they ask their question within Jesus' hearing, or did the disciples have to relay it to him? Now, in this age, there was some concern, some fear, some worry, that if you hung out with those who were unclean, you could become unclean. That if you hung out with those who were unholy, you could become unholy. That it was contagious. So they're concerned about Jesus, the teacher of Israel, the maybe prophet, polluting himself, corrupting himself, leading Israel astray. And we have that, that follow-up question there. Did they ask this question of Jesus' disciples? Why didn't they just ask Jesus? Was Jesus too far into the house that they weren't willing to, to chance being polluted themselves? And, and how did Jesus hear the question? Did they speak really loudly so that Jesus could hear? Was he doing some divine mind reading? Or did the disciples think, hey, that's a good question. Let's go ask Jesus. Uh, question 15. To whom does Jesus give his answer? Is he giving his answer to the teachers of the law, the disciples, the crowd at the party? We don't know, but how would we read that? I mean, Jesus' answer is, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Is Jesus giving that answer to the Pharisees, to the teachers of the law that may or may not hear it? Is that the answer to his disciples so that they'll understand why he's doing what he's doing? Or is it an answer that he's offering to everybody, to the whole crowd that's there? Question 16. In what ways is being a sinner like being sick? What do we learn about sin and deliverance from it when we use the sickness metaphor? And we're used to maybe thinking about sin as something we do, just a voluntary action. And yeah, some, some sins are that way. Maybe some sicknesses are that way. We get sick because of something we do. That was certainly a belief of how sickness happened in those days. That's why we could look at John chapter 9 when Jesus and his disciples are walking by the blind man. And the disciples say, hey, Jesus, look at this blind guy right here. Is he blind because of his sin or is he blind because of his parents' sin? Sickness happens because of what we do. But that's not our view of sickness. Sometimes we can get sick just because we happen to catch the wrong germ. Sometimes it can be something that's in our genetics. Sometimes it can be just something going wrong in our bodies that we get sick. There's no fault involved in it. But what's the connection between sin and sickness? Is all sin something that we do? Or is sin sometimes just something that happens to us? Something that happens to us because we're in that environment. Something that infects us from our culture, from our society, from our peer group, from the people we're around. We, we take up these ways of thinking, ways of thinking, oh, this is the right thing to say. This is the right thing to do. This is what's politically correct. This is what I, it needs to be to be conservative, to be liberal, to be progressive, be a socialist, to be an anarchist, whatever social group you hang out with, whatever political group you want to be politically correct with. Is it possible that we pick up sinfulness, that we pick up sinful ways of thinking, acting, perceiving, treating people from those we associate with, from our primary social groups? I think it is. Sickness is not always originating in what we do, but what we do flows out of those associations. 
the sickness, Jesus says, is like, or sinfulness is like being sick. We can catch it. Uh, question 17. In Jesus' mind, did anyone count as healthy? Because Jesus said, is not the healthy you need a doctor? But the sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. These Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they'd say, hey, yeah, we're healthy. We know the law. We're living by the law. We're keeping the law. We're doing pretty well here. And then we'll look at Paul. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 is looking at his own life, his, his life prior to his faith in Christ. And he describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, a true Israelite. As to the law of Pharisee, it's a legalistic righteousness, faultless. So by the, his Pharisaic standards, Paul is healthy. And yet, what happened? Jesus calls him. Jesus calls somebody who by the standards of Israel, standards of the Pharisees, standards of the religious people today, is healthy. He's doing everything right. And yet Jesus calls him. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I sort of think here that although the Pharisees might go away from this comment saying, oh yeah, Jesus didn't call us because we're healthy. Come to call those sinful people. I sort of think Jesus isn't reckoning anybody as healthy here. If a righteous person like Saul of Tarsus, later Paul the apostle, if somebody like him doesn't count as healthy, I don't think anybody does. And what about us? What about, about, what about us who are raised in church? Just because we're raised in church doesn't mean we're already holy. Doesn't mean we already have it together just because we're living accord that, according to the church code. It's because everybody says, oh yeah, that person, they're pretty good. They're righteous. I don't think Jesus would say, yeah, they're healthy. They don't need a call. I got my call, not my, just my call to ministry, but my call to faith in Christ when I was a church person. When I was president of the MYF, the youth group, I was a good kid. I never got in trouble. Well, not at school. I was a Boy Scout. And yet Jesus called me. He recognized me as unhealthy. Where are you today? Are, are, are you one of those that everybody around you says, oh, yeah, He's healthy. She's healthy. And you say to yourself, I'm healthy. But does Jesus call you beyond your health, the health you have in yourself, to a health that only he can give you? A health that comes from dealing not just with your voluntary sin, the sin that you know that you're doing, but the sin that's baked in because of your peer group, because of your, your social associations. Question 18. This is my last one. How did the partygoers respond to the conversation about Jesus hanging out with them? Did they perceive themselves to be sinners, sick, in need of a literal or metaphorical doctor? I mean, this isn't a really popular thing here if Jesus had said, okay, you Pharisees, I'm here to call you because you're sin sick. Well, we know from other places like John chapter 8 when Jesus calls them the children of the evil one, the children of Satan, they don't take that too kindly. Well, what about Levi's crowd? What about these tax collectors and sinners? Do they like being called sick? And it's not the healthy, you need a doctor, but the sick. Are they willing to see themselves as sick? They're willing to have somebody call them sick. 
That's hard. One of the words that we church people use sometimes to talk about non-church people is lost. I mean, that's a good biblical term. We see that in Jesus talking about uh, going out and finding the lost sheep, or the lost coin, the lost son. Somebody's lost. Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost, he says. But if you're lost, do you want to be called lost? I don't know. Jesus, Jesus here doesn't seem to pull any punches. We can be lost and not know we're lost. And that sheep that he was looking for, and he's looking, talking about the shepherd looking for the lost sheep. The sheep is probably just having a good time. Hey, I want to go out and do my own stuff. I don't want to go with the crowd. I don't want to conform. Man, it's getting sort of stuffy there with those 99 sheep. I want to be independent and autonomous. Yet Jesus calls him lost. Are, are we today ever willing to hear Jesus' word of sickness? That, we, that we're sick, that we're unhealthy, that we need to repent, that we need to change, that we need to change our mindset, our way of perceiving, way of seeing, our way of hearing, our way of thinking about the world. Are we willing to hear that? Are we willing to hear that Jesus reckons us as sinners. We also need to hear the opposite side of that too, that it's only after we can recognize ourselves as sinners that we can receive his grace, that we can receive his mercy. Are we willing to go there? Are we willing to be there? Well, that's our scripture that we have for today. Uh, I want to thank you all for joining us today as we've looked at this text. Thanks to each of you for joining us. Uh, I'm going to pray us out, and uh, as we do that, let me give you some announcements first. As you know, we have a couple of memorial services coming up uh, Saturday morning, Saturday morning at 9 out at Stewart's Mill Church. We have the uh, memorial service for David Stewart. Uh, keep praying for the Stewart family as they go through that. Uh, also pray for all the attendees. You, you know, it, there's going to be a lot of people there. And you know the virus is on the uptick here in our community. We're going to have masks there for those of you that don't have masks if you come. Also have masks for the uh, Rick Medford service this, that afternoon. It's going to be here in our sanctuary. And we're planning to stream it, and we're going to stream it down to the Fellowship Hall so we'll be able to space out. But be careful, people. Be careful out there. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace and mercy. I thank you for watching out for us. I thank you that thus far we have few virus cases here in Freestone County. Continue to bring deliverance. But Lord, we don't want to just be delivered by ourselves. We pray for deliverance for our state, for our country, for our world. Uh, give us wisdom as we go out and about. Show us what we can do, whether it's wearing a mask, washing our hands, being physically distant from people. Show us what we can do to be safe and to help other people be safe. Lord, help us to hear Jesus's word today, that he comes to not seek out and call the healthy, but the sick, the sinners, the people who need him. Help us to put ourselves in that number, to understand ourselves as people that need Jesus, and give us that same passion that he had the willingness to go to people, the people who aren't like us, the people who aren't politically correct like we are, the people who look like sinners and act like sinners. Help us love them. Extend your grace to them. 
Amen. Bob, I don't see you in the memorial services on Saturday. I'll maybe see you online Sunday when we do worship on YouTube at 9, Facebook at 11, or when we gather in the lawn, assuming the weather permits, at 9 a.m. See you then.